Welcome to Stories from the Midland, a collection of historic tales from Teller County and the surrounding areas. In today's episode, we're going to have ourselves a little exploration of the city of Victor on January 1st, 1896. This episode borrows from the Rocky Mountain News article from that date titled, Victor, the Heart of a Gold Quarry. It is presented for you by Tommy Allen. Harry S. Truman is quoted as having said, It is amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. Nowhere is this true as much as it is in Victor. The name Cripple Creek became world-renowned as the world's greatest gold camp, but much of the credit for that renown is from the mine groups in Victor like the Portland, the Independence, and the Vindicator. While these mine groups and others on and around Battle Mountain were the highest producing in the district, Victor was always overshadowed by and many times portrayed as part of her sister city. But that doesn't mean that Victor's accomplishments and advancements went completely unacknowledged. An example of this is the Rocky Mountain News article, Victor, the Heart of a Gold Quarry, released in their January 1st, 1896 edition. So, in today's episode, we're going to have a look at the City of Mines through the eyes of the article's unnamed author. The article's subtitle states, Every pulse beat of the district is felt in business of this energetic and active town. It is doubtful if there is today in this state a more prosperous mining town than Victor. Its creation as a village became a necessity. Surrounded by the best-paying mines in the world, its permanent prosperity is assured. Only when the Victor, the Independence, and the wonderful Portland group of mines fail to produce paying ore will the town be crippled. With millions of dollars still in sight in every one of those fabulous makers of wealth, there is no possibility that within the generation of men living, the output of any will be diminished to any appreciable extent. Two years ago, there were two frame shanties and five working mines about Victor. Today, there are handsome homes, brick buildings that would do credit to a city of 100,000 inhabitants, banks, mills, real estate exchange, chamber of commerce, two daily papers, a waterworks system, two railroads, an electric plant, and soon there will be accompanying manufacturing industries, great mills, possibly smelters, and all the necessary accessories of a thriving city among the mountains. With a population of more than 5,000 added to every day, Victor is one of the Commonwealths of Colorado, whose prosperity and progress it is impossible to predict. When the late Lord Tennyson wrote, I dipped into the future far as human eye could see, saw the vision of the world and all the wonders that would be. There was no thought in his mind that in the new land there would spring up, as if by magic in two years, a metropolitan town that would have the advantage of schools and churches and would rival in population and in intelligence and surpass in energy the combined progress of old world cities that have existed for centuries. 
But in the new West and in the new age, the wonders that are unfolded exceed the dreams of the seers and astrologers of the past. Under the present administration, Victor has made wonderful strides, not the least of which is the practical completion of a magnificent system of waterworks. The young town did not propose to suffer the experience of Denver, and from the first it was determined that however long it might take to construct the improvements when they were finished, they should be the property of the people. Other enterprises have demonstrated the patriotism and good sense of the citizens. The most extensive improvement during 1895 is the waterworks system, which originally cost the people $75,000 and to which an additional sum of $10,000 has been added for needed alterations in the original specifications. There was some delay, the principal reason for which was the fact that the contractors did not have sufficient capital to carry out the agreement. But all these obstacles were overcome, and on the 15th of December, the water had been turned on from the dam to Goldfield. The source of supply is from Middle Beaver Creek. Water is clear, and in volume is enough to supply a city larger than Denver. It is pure mountain water, and the force is so great that fire engines will never be needed in any emergency. Fire hydrants have been placed all over the town. There is a pressure of 190 pounds to the inch that can always be relied upon. There is an excellent volunteer fire department of about 30 members. A new chemical engine has been purchased at a cost of $2,500 and a contract has been closed for several thousand feet of hose. Editor's note, the author should have knocked on some wood as in 1899 much of Victor burned to the ground. You can find out more about the fire in the Stories from the Midland episode, The 1899 Fire in Victor. I'll put a link on this episode's webpage. The electric light plant is extensive and extends to Anaconda and Lawrence neighboring towns. Business buildings are made brilliant with incandescent lamps and the arc lights are aglow in the streets, making an evening in Victor with its crowded streets and the usual bustle, occasioned by the town being crowded by miners, one long to be remembered by the visitor. There are 350 buildings occupied for business purposes, four of which are brick and one of which cost $40,000. There are now large and well-kept hotels, but these are insufficient to accommodate the numbers that swarm into the town. While the name Cripple Creek is known the world over and naturally attracts the visitor to the bustling town of that name, no one cares to leave without seeing the wonderful mines that surround the picturesque town of Victor. The consequence is that everyone who goes into the district before he departs sees Victor, and this fact has caused the project for the erection of a palatial hotel, and a company has been formed for this purpose of which J.F. Burns, president of the Portland Gold Mining Company, is at the head. The new hotel will cost above $75,000 and will be modern in all its appointments, electric lighted, heated by steam, and having elevators. The town is supplied with excellent schools which have a large enrollment and a first-class force of teachers. 
two school buildings accommodate 600 pupils, four churches, Methodist, Catholic, Baptist, and Presbyterian are well-established, have comfortable edifices, and all of them expect either to build new sanctuaries or to greatly improve those in use during the present year. There are two banks, one of them a national bank, four wholesale lumber yards, one of the most successful sampling works in the state, which handles about 250 tons per day, a bottling works, and upon the southern limits of the city was the Lawrence Gold Extraction Works, which employed more than 100 men. There are two hotels, a dozen restaurants, and as many more large boarding houses. Besides, there are furniture houses, clothing stores, drug stores, meat markets, harness makers, livery transfer companies, novelty stores, jewelers, hardware stores, coal dealers, blacksmiths, painting firms, and the town is well supplied with lawyers and physicians. New work going on in progress necessitates the employment of more than 100 carpenters. There are two first-class daily newspapers, The Record and The News. There is a police system consisting of a marshal, deputy, and two patrolmen. The monthly payroll of the town for salaries amounts to about $800, and the rate of taxation is low. The postmaster, John A. Royal Jr., stated to a reporter for the news that during the 11 months of 1895, the office had handled from 4,000 to 5,000 letters and about the same number of newspapers daily, which would ordinarily show a population of more than 10,000. But allowing for the fact that a large number of the parties doing business at the post office are transients, a conservative estimate of the present permanent population of Victor would be about 6,000 to 8,000. The article presents quite a picture. It shows a vibrant and prosperous town where miners and their families can work, shop, and find educational and spiritual fulfillment. It goes on to talk about foreign investment, the legal victories of the Portland mine owners, and Winfield Scott Stratton's fortunes and generosity. If you wish to view the article in its entirety, I'll put a link in the episode's webpage along with a couple of illustrations for the article. Visit storiesfromthemidland.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening. This is Tommy Allen, and I hope you have a great day. And should you find yourself in Cripple Creek, don't leave without seeing the wonderful minds that surround the picturesque town of Victor. I look forward to having you join me next time for more Stories from the Midland. Four wholesale yumber yumber lards, huh?